In this week's edition of Farmers Inside Track, 25-year-old farming superstar Andy Lengobo talks about how his childhood influences career choice. Because I was so short, sometimes this rooster would bully me and would actually try to jump up and get food out of the ball that I'm holding in my hand. I thought that it was an attack. So <laughs> I have a very, very, very deep sense of issues with chickens even up until my big age right now. I just find them like very creepy and strange animals. In our new Agripreneur slot, we talk about the good, the bad and the ugly of hiring your own family members. We should be very professional in our structures and doing business. We're encouraged by a blind gardener who taught us that often you don't have to see the whole staircase. You just have to take the first step. And you know what? This is a story of a man who refused to count his losses and wallow in self-pity. Instead, he created a thriving vegetable garden in the heart of a township community notorious for its high crime rates. And we've got loads of inspiration to kickstart your week. Lucky for me though, I have brewed a lacquer 5 litre bottle of Morgan Brand's homemade pineapple punch and I enjoy a nice glass after work while I listen to my favourite podcast, Black Girls Heal by Sheena Tubbs. This is Farmer's Inside Track. Supported by Food from Zanzi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey South Africa, welcome to episode 24 of Food from Zanzi's weekly podcast called Farmers Inside Track. We're still in the COVID-19 lockdown, so this episode has also been recorded remotely from different locations all over the country. My name is Dawn Numdu and joining me from his lockdown position is Quibus Lawrence. Hey Dawn, I'm quite excited about today's episode. Not only do we have another of our favourite farmers on the show, but also a brand new format to help our listeners stay inspired during the lockdown. So let's welcome KwaZulu-Natal fresh produce farmer Andile Ngobo. He manages to Sokukhe Farm in Mkambatini, which means the place of acacia trees. Andile, we know things haven't really slowed down for you since the COVID-19 lockdown. It's been business as usual for most farmers, but how has the lockdown been treating you? Not much has slowed down for me since the lockdown. It has been business as usual. I must say that I think it's just the administration aspect of the lockdown that has been a little bit difficult, considering the fact that we have to take into account, firstly, that staff have permits to be able to move from their quarters to the farm and back daily. It's not far at all. It's about a seven kilometer distance between the farm and where they stay. We do have one roadblock on the way between their quarters and the farm. So we've just had to make sure that everything is in order for our driver as well as our staff. And also just trying to move everyone at once has also been a challenge. So, you know, sometimes you've got to make two trips now as opposed to one. So it has been a bit challenging in terms of them having to wake up earlier to get to work a little bit earlier so that we can have two loads that can start work on time. Although we haven't really been on time most of the time, but we have been trying despite the odds. So where exactly are you in lockdown and how has this pandemic impacted your local community? Information really does reach a lot of us differently. And also our level of understanding about the COVID pandemic has also 
been rather strange in a sense that we have access to news channels like ENCA and Newsroom Africa or SABC for that matter. Uh, we also have access to Power Talk, Metro FM, Gagasi FM, you know, Ukozi FM. And a lot of the workers who work on the farm and a lot of the surrounding communities in this rural setup don't really have information as readily as we have, like also updates on Twitter and social media about the pandemic. So, you know, having to educate our staff members to not only practice safety at work in terms of having to wear a mask, wash your hands regularly for 20 seconds, as well as awareness as to how it spreads and what to do in a situation where you feel like you are not feeling well, you have fluy symptoms, etc. So a lot of education has had to go through the people who we educate on our farm to guard into their communities and to continue to practice safety measures so that they do not contract the disease outside of work and then bring it in. You know, a lot of people around here haven't really had the constant update as to what is happening in terms of how the virus is developing and is affecting us. I think it's just information and also the understanding of the pandemic that has kind of struck everyone in the community in a sense and as they start to understand it better. So you have to try and keep the panic down and just try to keep the calm. So I think that's how it would have really impacted us directly. But from a production perspective, it hasn't been that drastic. We know that most agriculture was exempted from the lockdown as essential services quite early in the process. But how has it impacted your operations and your market, though? Indeed, Corbus, we have been exempted from observing the lockdown in a sense that we do have permits to move around and to continue operating, you know, supplying our products, trying to reach our markets, etc., but, you know, for safety purposes, as well as a bit of a slowdown in production based on the fluctuating demand levels, we have had to try to stick to local supply in terms of trying to supply the nearest stores and our nearest markets and not cross over into other cities like we usually would from Peter Maritzburg all the way to Durban. Because what tends to happen is you have like flushes of people coming through to buy. So during the weekends, usually when people have been observing the lockdown for the duration of the week, you find that then they all go out on like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and they all try to sort of buy in bulk for the week so that they don't have to leave their homes. So a lot of what we've been supplying during the week will be found on the shelves for a longer period than what we have supplied over the weekend, which will then just be bought out by Monday. So the frequency of supply has changed, but the quantities haven't really changed. It's just that we now have to try and supply on the days that are good enough for us to be able to have our products bought while they are still fresh. Looking back, how has your childhood influenced who you have become today? I would say that I have always been a very adventurous child growing up. I had a very limited concentration span when it comes to having to concentrate on reading and watching the television. So I'm not a fan of TV or of sitting still and doing nothing really. I'm a very active person in general. So growing up, you know, being outside, climbing trees, kicking a ball around in the field, running, I used to enjoy running a lot, but I felt a whole lot more free on days when I was able to spend the majority of my day outside, even sometimes getting into trouble for not coming back home to eat because I just enjoyed the freedom of being outdoors. So with that active spirit, I think that a lot of 
what I do now was influenced a lot by the fact that I do not really enjoy the feeling of being confined into a space. I had to endure that throughout my entire schooling. It wasn't so bad because everybody else was doing it. But, you know, I just couldn't wait for that bell to ring so I could get out. And I did enjoy sports like cross country. I really enjoy the outdoors. Funny enough, even though I did grow up in like a suburb setup, my grandfather kept a couple of pet chickens, like five pet chickens, and he had this one rooster. And I remember being a very short little kid and having to wake up in the morning and sometimes go and feed these chickens with him on a weekend. And I would carry my own packet of maize to feed these chickens, and so would he. Because I was so short, sometimes this rooster would bully me and would actually try to jump up and get food out of the bowl that I'm holding in my hand. But of course, I thought that it was an attack. So <laughs> I have a very, very, very deep sense of of issues with chickens, even up until my big age right now. I just find them like very creepy and strange animals, whereas I'm absolutely comfortable with working with sheep, goats, and cows with no problem. But chickens, for me, are rather a no-no <laughs> because of my childhood experience. But for some reason, I did have that in the back of my mind because also when it comes to our setup, where I live, I live in a sort of a semicircle cul-de-sac kind of area. And there's this large field of grass in front of my house that belongs to the municipality. And I remember that, you know, they'd have a tractor come and cut the grass once a month. And I literally used to wait for this old man. I used to call him Umkul because he had this gray beard. And he would literally allow me to sit on his lap while he drove around cutting the field for the duration of the morning on a random weekend once a month. And he'd let me control the steering wheel of the tractor and I'd spend like hours and hours with him out there. So, you know, I think my childhood really did have some sort of impact on my love for the outdoors and my interest in nature in general. As I understand it, Andile, you were always interested in a food-related career, but never really pictured yourself as a farmer. Where did it all start for you? Indeed. You know, it was always going to be one of two careers, and that for me was either going to be the food industry or the healthcare industry. This I decided when I was supposed to choose my subjects in grade 10 that were going to carry me out throughout my high school career up until I decided on a career path. And I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, but I kind of understood where I saw myself in a sense that I looked at the working environment as well as a need. I've always been fixated on doing something with a lot of purpose. And I understood that even at a time when the country is going through some sort of recession or if we were struggling somehow in society, there are two things that people are always going to need and that is healthcare and that is food, the basic needs. My thinking from a market perspective, I thought, well, I mean, I can't go wrong in a career that involves food or healthcare. So, of course, my thinking wasn't really at primary level because I obviously did look at the more glamorous options that were offered. You know, when you grow up, you grow up usually around people who have professional careers. And so when you see what their careers can actually afford them, you start to think, well, obviously, whatever I do needs to be at the highest level and I need to earn very well. And obviously what I do needs to be something with a little bit of prestige. So I looked at other avenues of food production, such as, you know, being a restauranteur or owning a retail store, some sort of franchise. Obviously, I quickly learned while doing my research that that kind of thing can be extremely expensive, especially for someone just coming out of university. You don't have a million rand to just put into a business concept that already works. So I obviously continued to do my research all the way down until I got to primary agriculture. Even then, I did 
think at some point that, you know, I was probably going to be in viticulture and oenology, which is basically grape farming and winemaking. But then also during my research in primary agriculture, I realized that agriculture is a very regional kind of setup. Certain produce thrives in a particular area as opposed to another. For example, KZN being a very big dairy area because of the moist Midlands sort of environment with a lot of grass and it's very lush. So, you know, your dairy cows generally have a lot of feed and you can produce quite a lot of milk as opposed to the Northern Cape and Western Cape where the climate is conducive for food production, for example. So you find more citrus along those lines and obviously grapes and stuff. I eventually enrolled at Sadara College of Agriculture, which is a college nearest to where I am. And a lot of what we learned will be production that is related more to KwaZulu-Natal. And that is exactly how I got into farming. In 2013, you enrolled to study at the Sadara College of Agriculture in Pietermaritzburg. And you've since gained extensive experience since then. Tell us about this journey. Yes. So in 2013, my first year was at Sedora College of Agriculture. I just randomly found this college on the internet. I was so surprised that it's always existed all my life. And I decided to enroll there. And to my surprise, I realized after getting there that you really can't be taught how to farm but you are taught a component of skills, various skills that when put together gives you the ability to be able to plan and learn how to obviously farm. There's quite a large component that involves the climate and the environment or the biology of how crops and animals actually are cultivated and how they grow, how they react to the changes, you know. So you've got to learn the science behind or the biology behind the growth of animals, the seasonal growth, the numbers, the carrying capacity, the behavior, the feed. You know, for example, you find that you're better off suited to having your sheep lamb in the warmer season of spring, but you find that you've just come out of winter, so your grass is only growing then. So, you know, just trying to find and adjust the balances between what the environment actually gives you and what you can do to manipulate it so that you can actually cultivate anything. And then there's the economic side of it, whereby when you think that the perfect time for you to produce something is good because of the environment, but from a market perspective, a lot of people will be doing that, which means that your income will be quite low because you might surpass your demand. So then you've got to learn the economics and understand when people buy, what they buy, what they prefer to eat, what size, at what freshness, at what quantity, the buying power and consumer behavior. And then all of these elements that you learn then come together to create a business model that you then use to actually establish and start farming and continue farming and to remain consistent. Andile, we know you've had many highlights since you started your career in agriculture, but what are some of the greatest highlights you'd like to share? So far, <laughs> so far, I think that it must be my appearance on the cover of the Farmers Weekly. When it comes to agriculture, you know, one opinion or method of doing something is the right method. So, you know, we constantly read reviews of people who have trialed certain ways of doing things in the farming industry, learning from people's mistakes and their write-ups about their preferences and what they've discovered. So reading is a quite a consistent and a very large part of staying abreast as to what is happening out there in the agricultural world. 
And obviously, there are main publications that we read, such as The Stockman and The Farmer's Weekly. The Farmer's Weekly, for me, being the most popular. And I obviously had been posting a lot of what I do on social media. One of the journalists who actually has Instagram, who is all the way up in Johannesburg, actually alerted the journalist who is down in uh, Peter Maritzburg or KwaZulu-Natal, who doesn't have Instagram, and just told him a little bit about what he's been observing on my social media page. And then I got a surprise call and visit from the journalist in December, I think it was 2018. He said to me, well, we would like to do a feature about your production on the farm. So uh, would you be keen? And I was like, sure. And he said that, you know, he, the story will probably be published in the last week of December if the editor has looked at it and improves it. And then I, we did a whole took a couple of pictures, did a write-up about my vegetable synchronization to meet market demands. And then December week came and there was nothing. And I thought, oh, well, probably the editor struck it out, so it doesn't matter. Only to my surprise, in the first or second week of January 2019, if I'm not mistaken, I get a call from a friend in Johannesburg where the Farmers Weekly had hit the shelves first. And she just said, wow, I recognize the person on the cover of the Farmers Weekly. And I was like, okay, well, who is it? And she's like, you'll just wait and see. And to my surprise, I was actually on the cover of the Farmers Weekly. And a part of me had hoped that obviously this would have happened in a later stage in my life when I felt that I was more established myself because I've only been in the industry for about five years, really. Two of those being in an internship position. So I felt as though I could surely do better. But now that I look back, I think it was a huge honor to be featured as well as be on the cover of the Farmers Weekly. And there's no to say that I couldn't do it again. <laughs> I thought that was probably the highest level that anyone could possibly get in my career. But this year, funny enough, I have been featured on panel billboards all around KwaZulu-Natal. I know a couple of people who have sent me pictures of my billboard in Winterton one in Keats Drift and another one in Tugela Ferry. There's another one in Guanongoma and another one in, was it Freyhead or that region? But I have also been featured on a couple of billboards and that are going to be there for a while. You've made quite a name for yourself in the industry and especially when it comes to marketing on social media. Anybody who checks out your Instagram will agree with me that it is next level. How did that come about and um, what has it done for your career? Most certainly, the social media story is a bit of a funny one because for some reason, I always have bad luck when it comes to farming in areas where there's no network. I have absolutely zero network on the farm, no coverage for any network whatsoever. What I do have access to is Wi-Fi and that's only in the office area, which is quite far from where I usually am in the fields while running operations. Nothing on my phone really works except for my camera. I can't access any apps. I can't send or receive any calls or messages. I usually play around with my camera and I started doing this by taking pictures of random operations that were happening on the farm, machinery at work, people at work, produce that we have on the farm. And every afternoon when I get a chance to stop by at the office or leave the farm altogether, I would post these with a caption relating to what we're doing or how I'm feeling at the time. And I was so surprised at how much awareness alone this actually put out there about the agricultural industry. 
that a lot of people didn't know. I think a lot of people are also very surprised that a young person would be interested in agriculture and furthermore also seems to be quite a surprise there's a black person who is involved in agriculture at a young age so there's been a lot of feedback even for myself in terms of what people understand about where food comes from where the products come from and obviously who farms and who has the ability to farm and what it means to actually sync your production with the demand etc so it has been quite an awareness for a lot of people and obviously that has also put my skill for strategizing in agriculture out there in terms of being able to farm guess successfully besides being an operations manager for Tusokutle farming you're also the co-founder of Imbeo Agricultural Enterprise um Where did this happen and how did it start? So a lot of people, based on what they see on social media and what they've read about me, based on my LinkedIn profile and my Instagram profile and my Twitter profile, I have been getting quite an influx of people who are looking for either mentorship, guidance, help in establishment, and just working through a strategy to ensure that they are always able to produce at a time where a demand for the product will be there at the end of the season. So I took it upon myself as a project to unofficially consult on behalf of people that I'm able to reach all around the country really and I just basically charge my services on an hourly rate on the amount of time that I spend on the assessment and obviously the production plan that I will put together to submit to you so that you can use it as a guideline and a roadmap to getting started whether you're commercial whether you're a subsistent and we just look at things like the environment that you're farming in the infrastructure that you have available to you human resource water sources and various areas to supply you know the availability of supply transport just the whole value chain in general we i call it agri business strategizing because there's a lot of moving parts to it like transport like obviously registering on various databases to ensure that people know that there's produce nearby that they can procure that sort of thing so my consulting and agri business strategizing is just around trying to help people who have the passion to farm and those who want to start some sort of project to just be able to get started what are some of the toughest lessons learned in your farming journey what should other new farmers look out for the toughest lessons i would have learned kobus will be along the lines of what any other entrepreneur really goes through and that's obviously trying to keep a business sustained for the longest period possible 5 years being the general period which will determine whether or not your business will actually survive you know with agriculture you're working against two forces that you have absolutely no control over one that is your environment the climate weather conditions weather patterns you know we face issues of climate change where we don't get as much rainfall as we used to and when we do it's no longer during the time that we expected increased heat temperatures so we work against a lot of odds and so when it comes to farming you know you are going to probably stumble upon issues of lack of growth or survival of plants or your animals now and again not that's not a common thing you know there are mitigation strategies against that but it's something that can happen and something that you will experience at some point as well as also trying to secure a market without having your prices negotiated down because there's no demand for your product you know it's very difficult to get into the market especially since markets want the security 
of consistency, which is something you cannot guarantee until you have managed to go through an entire cycle from planting, maintaining, harvesting, and starting again, you know, that you'll be able to get a hang of making sure that you're always able to produce at a consistent number for a long period of time. I mean, yeah, it's been very tough in a sense that sometimes you really have to work against the odds to try and get things right. And it is quite expensive and also quite difficult to get into. But once you're in it, the advice I always give is, now is the time to try and remain as consistent as you possibly can. It's going to be a while before you're able to enjoy the pleasures of a long holiday somewhere abroad on a beach with white sands. But there's a possibility with growth. Thanks for joining us on Farmers Inside Track. Andileng Ngobo, a dynamic young farmer from KwaZulu-Natal. Stay tuned because our next guest has some tips on hiring your own family members. Now for our exciting new agripreneur slot. It's one thing to live with your own family, but a totally different ball game to manage and work with your own family. Let's face it, they are not typical employees. We checked in with Dr. Vili Siliers, the chairperson of the AHAE Western Cape, who does great work in helping entrepreneurs to promote their interest through a network of business chambers. Family businesses are one of the oldest business forms in the world and probably one of the strongest forms as well. It's just to refer to two big companies in South Africa. Anton Rupert, for example, started his business in 1941 as Remgro. And today we still see that Johan Rupert, his son, is driving very strongly as a big company in South Africa. And also then Raymond Ackerman, who started his business, Pick and Pay, as we know him, in 1966, still very strong today. But there's a few points that's very, very important in running a family business. The first one, for sure, is that you need to have a succession plan. In other words, how do I transfer the knowledge and the skills and the business from one generation to the next generation? That's vital important. And the three vital issues is there. I mean, how dependent will be the retiring generation on the cash flow of the business? The second one, what skills do the new generation need to succeed that business? And when will the retiring generation hand over that to the new generation? That is the biggest point. How do you change the business from the one family member to the next family member, from the one generation to the next generation? The second point is that we should be very professional in our structures in doing business. We need to do business compliance or business corporate compliance. There should be a shareholder agreement between every shareholder in the business, although it's a family business. And where there's a lack of knowledge in specific fields, we must be able to hire external managers with the necessary skills to run the business as a professional business. Third point, which is important, is to develop a strategic plan for our business. I mean, family business also need to see to the budgets and the dreams for the family. That one is a vital one. I mean, can all the dreams be fulfilled in the budget? Then innovation is one of the biggest issues from the older generations to the newer generations. We saw that family business fell. And the big reason for that is that there's a lack of technology, but the new generation will bring that technology to the business world. And we need to understand also the threats and opportunities in bringing in innovative 
new technology. Thank you, Dr. Velisil here, the chairperson of the AHI Western Cape. We hope you're enjoying the brand new format of our Farmers Inside Track podcast. One of the trending stories on Food for Mzanzi is about a 72-year-old blind gardener who's doing amazing work to feed his community. Journalist Duncan Masiwa has the details. Yes, Quibus. I had the privilege of interviewing Vuyo Tsika. And you know what? When I reached out to him, I heard the most inspiring story of a 72-year-old farmer in Delft who lost his eyesight, his taxi business, and his home, yet rose stronger and more determined every time. And you know what? This is a story of a man who refused to count his losses and wallow in self-pity. Instead, he created a thriving vegetable garden in the heart of a township community notorious for its high crime rates. This story really touched me. I mean, after losing so much, He still had so much zest for life and his story really indicates that no matter how many times you fall, you can always get back up and try again. As a young mind, I'm inspired by stories like these and I'm sure our listeners are too. But for more daily inspirational stories about farmers and agriculturalists who go above and beyond to feed South Africa, stay tuned to www.foodformzanzi.co.za or simply follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. We've just about reached the end of this week's episode of the Farmers Inside Track podcast. But first, our kickstarter of the week. I wonder what journalist Nolutando Ngakani is brewing. Hey Mzanzi, this is designated Quarren Queen and your favorite agri-agony aunt. Shoo guys, I'm sure we're all at our wit's end with this national lockdown. The day-to-day stress has been really getting to me. I mean, finding the balance between working from home and having to knock off back home, I have just found absolutely no pleasure in this. But just because we are in a stressful situation, this doesn't mean that we have to stay stressed out. You may be in the storm, but the key is don't let the storm get to you. That's why I brewed a lacquer 5 liter bottle of Morgan Brand's Pineapple Punch. Just to keep me a little sane and to keep me a little warm as we head into the winter months. And I enjoy a nice glass after work while I listen to my favorite podcast, Black Girls Heal by Sheena Tubbs. This podcast really digs deep and resonates with me as a black woman. Thanks, Noltandu, for the great inspiration. That brings us to the end of this week's Farmers Inside Track podcast. Remember that the COVID-19 pandemic is still far from over. Please be safe out there. Yes, Quabas, staying home can actually help this great nation of ours save lives. Keep a safe distance, wash your hands often, 
and it is now compulsory to wear a face mask outside of your own home. From me, Dawn Numdu, Corbis Lawrence and the rest of the team, goodbye. You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track Podcast, supported by Food Form Zansi. For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.